Kia ora, no mai, haere mai ki, quite simply politics podcast. Welcome to everyone streaming in and also watching us on YouTube. This is our very first episode, so I'm not going to talk too much because I'm absolutely thrilled with the guest that we have as our very first guest with us here today, and that is the acting Prime Minister of Aotearoa New Zealand at the time of recording, Carmel Sepuloni. Welcome. Kia ora, Holly. Thank you so much for coming. An absolute joy to be able to sit with you today and talk to you and get to know a little bit more about your journey in politics. Um, I just wanted to start off first to talk about you as a child. When you were coming up, did you always dream of being acting Prime Minister? I don't know. (laughs) Acting Prime Minister, I certainly had dreams and aspirations to be something, uh, to do something, to serve people. Yeah. And um, always had the self-belief, despite the fact I was in a very working class family and town and community where no one had gone to university, always had the self-belief that I could go on and do something. You uh, were born in Waitara, is that Mm. correct? What was your childhood like? As I said, very working class, very basic. We didn't even have a car, let alone a... No, no car, uh, no video player. We would obviously walk around town uh, and bus into New Plymouth if we had to go there but we didn't have a lot we had enough yeah and we had two parents who worked when they could uh, when work was available for them and I guess it was the 80s 90s upbringing which really on reflection was quite free and easy in many ways yeah yeah contrasting to what we have now with lots of pressures on uh, our rangatahi um fast forwarding i know that you went to uh new plymouth new plymouth high i went to new plymouth high school and you recently went back there and you went back with uh the mayor of wellington torifano as well as joe moyer the political editor uh talk to me about that because that's a very unusual unique group of group of three well it was pretty overwhelming actually for all of us having the school welcome us in and to go up to the hall that day and to see these boards that lay out the contribution that we'd made while we'd been there through yeah. old yearbook excerpts and everything else. They had asked me and Tori separately if we would come back and yeah. talk to the girls. Uh, both of us were uh, absolutely gagging for the opportunity yeah. to do that. Yeah. And when we worked out, we'd both been invited, we decided we wanted to do it together. We also know Joe Moyer is a really proud former New Plymouth Girls High School student yeah. as well. And so we said to New Plymouth Girls High School, how about we do it like this, yeah. as like a couch talk, Joe being the moderator, uh, and all of us contributing our experiences and insights and whatever else. And, and the school were excited by that, so that's how we ended up doing it. It was cool, and, and the most important thing is the girls enjoyed it. Were there any uh, sort of gotcha questions or anything that any of the the young girls asked that you're like oh that's a fantastic question and I've never been asked that well the the easy ones to answer about are about the journey and uh, you know the the what what inspired you things like that the yeah. hard one when you're talking to 1300 secondary school students uh, was around whether we ditched school and our <laughs> behavior and I was trying to be uh, the responsible adult because, uh, unfortunately, well, the reality is there's still teachers there that know <laughs> I did do those things. But it was very 
nerve-wracking when Tori went down this track to explain in detail a uh, situation she'd had with a teacher which involved swearing and some other things and I was <laughs> literally hiding behind my island fan on stage going bright red thinking how far is she going to go yeah. uh, but it was fine and it, that's Tori and I think the girls appreciated our honesty and just yeah. being ourselves on stage too. Mm. One of the things um, that stands out to me, particularly in your political journey, is how you entered Parliament and then had to leave Parliament and then return. And so I imagine that election period uh, in, in 2011, I think it was, yeah. must have been quite a stressful, interesting time. It was the best thing that could have happened to really? me, to be honest, yes, because I'd got in unexpectedly in 2008. I knew nothing about politics. Yeah, uh, It was all you know, basically quite new, very new to me. Yeah. And then when I didn't get back in in 2011, that gave me an opportunity to go away and do something else that was meaningful. So I was chief executive of a, a Pacific health uh, service or provider at that time. And also think about what I wanted from mm. politics and whether I wanted to get back into it. It gave me time to reflect and also think forward. If I'm going to do this, how am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. And why am I doing this? And so when I did get back in in 2014, I wasn't much clearer yeah. about what I was there for. I came a little bit more equipped with some more life experience. I'd had another child, which yeah. was a good use of my time yeah. too <laughs> during that three years. And so I was just much more ready to be in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And when you came back to Parliament, you would have been in opposition. Yeah. Is there a time in opposition that you just thought, oh my gosh, this is what politics is? This is what I have to deal with? This is my job, you know? Well, I was I, when I came back in 2014 after that term out, I also became a whip. And so I had a much greater uh, level of responsibility in the caucus and for right. the caucus. I really enjoyed that because there's nothing like having a role like that for you to really understand how everything works. Mm. And so you don't feel like an observer or a spectator in yeah. a workplace. You actually are part of the machine. Yeah. Uh, and and I love that. Yeah. You know, really, some, some politicians don't. I love the debating chamber. Yes. I love the politics of the politics. Um, sometimes the drama is a bit too much, <laughs> but you know that you are alive when you're in that space. And mm. so it is something that I think... I enjoy and I have energy for. What's been the most drama-filled moment for you in your whole entire political career? Well, when I didn't win Waitakere that year, oh. and then we did win by 11 votes, and then when there was a judicial recount, then I lost by nine votes. Right. That was pretty dramatic. But... <laughs> Also, to be completely honest, the last week hasn't right. been the quietest week of no. my political career. I, I thought last week, before Chris Hipkins left to go overseas, that I, I, I kept saying to people, let's hope for the most boring week in politics, because mm. that's what you want. If your leader's away and you're left to be in charge, you want it to be quiet yes, and yes. for there to be nothing <laughs> big that happens. That wasn't the case. No, no, and not so at all. it has been quite a busy week, and I guess in many ways I've been tested as well. I'm very grateful to the team that I've got because mm. when you have so much going on that is unexpected to the extent that we've had, you need good people around you. So I've I've been lucky to have that. Absolutely. So thinking about your role, um, I want to go for a moment to when you were 
uh, made Deputy Prime Minister. And can you share with me uh, where you were when you found out? And also, sure. how did your family find out? And if there's anything around that? Yeah. So actually, on the day that Jacinda told everyone that she was not going to continue as Prime Minister, it became very clear that things would move very quickly. Mm. We were in agreement as a caucus that we did not want this to drag on, that we know from experience these things can get ugly. And so really there was a clear calling for anyone who wanted to be leader to make it known and uh, to have the necessary conversations so that we could have a decision made quickly. It became very clear on that day too that... I would be a preferred deputy Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, whoever stepped into the PM role. There's, I guess, a lot of support within my own caucus Mm. um, for that to happen. I've got good relationships with people in caucus. I think that's what it comes down to. And quite often the role of the deputy uh, is more of the relational one as the prime minister gets on and it makes the big calls and makes the big decisions and is absolutely inundated with every part of their work. So it is an important part of what the deputy does. And so lots of people made that known to me on the day. Mm. So it looked likely from the day that uh, Jacinda had announced her uh, intention to resign. And then it was within a few days. Yeah. It was done and dusted. Yeah. And then how did your family find out? And what did they say? Well, I told my husband uh, when I got home, we went outside so the boys couldn't hear us. And he, he was really quite emotional. Yeah. Not just for, for me, but um, for our family, for what it would mean for the community. Right. And so we had a big talk uh, about that and had a little bit of a, a tonguey together. Yeah. Um, my dad was in... Uh, Samoa. Was he in Samoa? Yeah, he was in Samoa at the time. Mm. So I didn't tell him on the phone. Right. I've said publicly, I didn't want him to go around and tell the whole village before the decision <laughs> had even been made properly here. Yeah. So when he arrived back into New Zealand, which was the day before I, the, the caucus was going to make the decision, yeah. um, and I was in Wellington, my son picked him up from the airport. And I rang him and I told him the likelihood was that the following day I would be made deputy. Was he proud as parents? Really proud. Yeah. Um, really, really proud. And said that, you know, he didn't just love me, he loved me twice. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Makes no sense. <laughs> Our papas do not have to make sense. <laughs> it's right. Um, so first, uh, Wahine Pacifica. Deputy Prime Minister, the yeah. Aotearoa New Zealand has ever seen. Yeah. Talk to me about that feeling. Yeah, well, I knew it was going to mean a lot to our Pacific community, right. but I could not have imagined to what extent. The response from the Pacific community has been overwhelming, mm. not just here in Aotearoa, but from Pacific people across the world. And even just recently, I got to lead a Pacific mission to the Solomons, Fiji and Tonga, and the response from them Mm. to this appointment was uh, huge and so you know I've always felt a a strong commitment and sense of obligation to our Pacific community I guess I feel it even more intensely now when you think about uh, your role as a minister what is one of the best uh, decisions announcements that you've ever had the privilege of being able to make for Aotearoa there's a lot. Yep. Um, 
but if there was one policy that it was a, a privilege to be able to announce, it certainly was the, I think, $3 billion investment into increasing benefits, yeah. um, fixing what had been done in 1991, mm. uh, you know, putting more money back into the pockets of, for, of people that really needed it. Right. Um, but when I look across the suite of things that I've been able to do as a minister, I am really proud of the impact that the policy changes I've made and investments I've made or led um, have had on women. Right. You know, it's the, including birth injuries and cover for ACC, it's benefit increases, it's mm-hmm. reinstating the training incentive allowance, it's child support pass on. Uh, it's the range of measures that actually have a disproportionate positive impact on women right. uh, that I'm most proud of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've always been focused, particularly on Māori Pacific disabled women and those from low socioeconomic backgrounds. But when I look across the suite of things, what stands out for me is women. Yeah, yeah. Kilda, you must hear some heart-wrenching stories about the way in which the changes then fundamentally change some of these wahine lives. Is there, is there anything that stuck with you, you know, that you thought, mm, this is why I am in politics to do this? Um, yes, certainly. The, the difference for, by just having extra money in your pocket, but also even if I just reflect on the fact that the training incentive allowance had been literally cut, mm. apart from a handful of people who were able to access it with the changed settings, there's now just about uh, around about 5,000 mostly sole parent mm. women uh, that have had access to a level of upskilling and training that will be life-changing yeah. for them. You know, when a woman is able to go on and get a degree, mm. then not only is she lifting her prospects in terms of the kind of pay she might expect to receive and uh, the enjoyability of the work that she may be able to take up, but she's also then improving the academic prospects for her children, mm. uh, which is intergenerational. It means that the life outcomes for that woman and her children yeah. and then their children uh, can be significantly changed. And so the stories where I hear of women talking about the difference, the degree they got to take up um, uh, makes, that's 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 what hits me. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we uh, fast forward now and we think about present day, we're heading towards the election. Is there anything that you're thinking about like that's concerning you? One of the things that we saw at the previous uh, election was an increasing level of vitriol towards all of our politicians, um, but in particular, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Is there anything that's top of mind for you? Uh I mean, I get a little bit of uh, trolling, not not as much as not as much as as some other politicians. But now, by saying this, I'm probably inviting them. <laughs> um, but I think it is just the, there has been some ugliness in recent years of of people just turning on each yeah. other, uh, and because of the ability to be anonymous through social media, it can get really ugly in terms of what what people will say. Um, directly to someone or about someone and so always watching that space I'm quite good at blocking people deleting things and just putting a hand up to ignore it uh, but it's disturbing to think that people think like that 100%. and and it makes you feel yuck and yeah. so you know of course in the lead up to an election I think we can expect that um, 
potentially things will heighten even more. Mm. Uh, and so that's always a worry. Can you remember the worst comment that you've ever had or received? I can't remember specifically the worst. Usually it's um, weight related, you know. Really? Yeah, weight. Or what are you What are you wearing? What you look like? All of these things that yeah. are fundamental to your humanness yeah, yeah, as a politician, right. right? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> of course there will be people that say that you're, you're useless or whatever. Um, one woman the other day, which kind of made me laugh, she said, you know, I pull my hair back in a bun and, I had these photos up and she made this statement about me that I was going bald. Um, and so no. I, I took my hair out, brushed it out, and I said, I certainly am not. <laughs> but, um, you know, just it just goes to show that there are some really mean-spirited yeah. people out there and it's really hard to comprehend how they think and why they think like that and how mm. they could even imagine that it's okay to be like that. It's uh, Yeah, I find that pretty yucky yeah and to put that into the world yeah 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 um if we think about that as a concept and i know that a lot of the people who are attracted to quite simply politics are younger what would your key message be to that next generation coming through thinking about politics as their career yeah um my recommendation would be go and have a career in something else Mm. before you come into politics. Understand how a particular sector or area ticks uh, and bring that knowledge in so that you can uh, contribute that that understanding. It's also just important because I don't think the vast majority of people are not politicians for the the sake of being politicians. You care about something. So go and exercise that care uh, in another way before you decide to do it through yeah. politics. So I think that's really important. Do you, how how are you feeling in terms of your political career? It's been, you know, one... It's been long. <laughs> yeah, it feels long. What? How do you see that playing out in the future? Do you feel like you've still got gas in the tank? Yeah, or... I've still got gas in the tank. If I, if I didn't have gas in the tank, I wouldn't still be here. You never know when that's going to run out, though. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the gas tank gauge is one of those unreliable ones. And so like you might one day feel a little bit depleted and then next day you're like, oh, actually, no, it's full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so it can shift around a little bit. But I think if you get to the point where it starts to consistently look like it's not in the healthiest shape, then that's when you need to reconsider it. But I'm I'm, I'm still in it. I've still got the energy for it. You just don't know what's ahead. And um, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I can commit to another 15 years or yeah. something. But um, I'm certainly in it now and mm. still enjoying it. Mm. Yeah. What is, um, I want to switch gears for a moment and just talk to you about you and your your political idols and how you've landed here. Who are the people in politics that you've always looked up to? Yeah. Um, well, certainly growing up, we were in a Labour household and uh, people like David Longy who... Mm we would see on our screens keeping in mind back then we only had two channels so if you were watching tv (laughs) as a family you couldn't flick around you were probably watching the news together Uh, and he was such a great orator and um, entertaining and witty uh, and principled Um, and so that would be one of the first people that really stood out to me Um, always admire our women in Mm. this space so a lot of respect for uh, Helen Clark and of course uh, my mate Jacinda who's left they just have given uh, 150% of themselves to the role when they've been in there and 
both of them, I have to say, were really good at staying connected to uh, the the people around them. Both mm. of them were quick to pick up the phone and give people a call and see how they were, to ask for insights into how things are going, uh, and uh, remain that way. I know I could pick up the phone and ring Helen Clark or Jacinda, and they would they would risk, they would answer, yeah. um, and still get texts from both of them just about how things are going. And so, um, a lot of respect for our women leaders and. You know, going back to the first person I saw who I felt had that kind of values-based, principled, um, clever and witty uh, persona and political character was definitely David Longy. What did you love most about that witty personality? Was it the ability to engage with an audience? Yeah, well, I mean, that is engaging. You know, if someone can uh, communicate a message in a way that not only has substance Mm. and what they're talking about, is values-based and it Mm. means something, but use wit and humour to be able to engage that audience, then I admire that. Mm. That's good communication. It means you're taking people with you in your thinking and your decision-making. And so I think it's really important. We're coming to the end of our segment and it's been absolutely amazing to find out a little bit more about what makes you tick. I think one of the questions that I've been asked to ask you, um, I'd really like to uh, do so, which is, if you could have any five people at a dinner, who would you have and why? Yeah, and this is the one question I did see on that piece of paper that I didn't give much thought to. (laughs) I'm going to, actually, I'm going to um, refer to a group that me and my husband have been saying that we need to meet up with for quite some time, and we haven't done that yet. Uh, so one would be the uh, the amazing academic and writer Albert Went. Uh, he's he's been such a leader in our community, mm-hmm. and both me and my husband keep meaning to go and visit him, and we haven't done that yet. So he would be at that table. I really respect this Tongan academic man, Dr. Okwisi Mahina, mm-hmm. who again I've invited over to our house and we haven't got around to doing it yet. And so he'd need to be at the table. These are actually overdue catch-ups. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of people that we're meant to catch up with. Fatu Few, who is mm-hmm. another uh, Samoan artist who's come over before. We haven't seen him for a while, but it's it's almost like this group of elders oh. uh, that um, need to be at the table with us. Another artist who lives in my electorate who I haven't caught up with her name is Pussy Urale Mm -hmm. and so she is just the mother of all of these creatives and she's an artist in her own right so she'd be there and then my husband would have to be there to help host and entertain (laughs) these people and probably he'd be the one cooking the dinner. (laughs) Kia ora! I love that! Um, So we have one final thing that we're going to do with guests and as our first guest um, i Provide it to you as an opportunity. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But we have the bowl of bravery. Okay. So the bowl of bravery has got a whole bunch of questions in it. And they're all kind of a little bit weird. Okay. So (laughs) the offer is whether or not you reach into the bowl of bravery and take out the pass eye, read it out for everyone, and then answer it. Okay. What I'm going to commit to is taking it out and reading it out and then I'll decide whether I answer Come it. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Ah, oh, if you could be an animal, what would it be? I'd be in the ocean. So I would certainly be, I think, I think 
either a dolphin, a turtle, or a whale. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have one. No, yeah. can't have one. Amazing. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to sit here and chat with you today. Mm. Is there anything final, final thought that you had that you wanted to share with our audience just before we wrap well, up? Well, just to any audience right now, particularly given it is an election year, just the importance of being enrolled to vote and mm. to vote and not just uh, to take up that responsibility for oneself, but to ensure that your whole circle of family and friends are engaged with what is happening politically and exercising their right, right to vote. That would be my one message. It's mm. the same groups that always have the low voter turnout mm. and we need to encourage all communities to have their voices heard at this election. So get active and encourage everyone you know to exercise that right. Kilda, we well, heard it here, everyone. Deputy Prime Minister Carmel Cipollone saying you need to get active, get out and get involved in politics. That wraps us for this very first inaugural episode of Quite Simply Politics. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. And we'll catch you again in the next episode. Kia ora.